0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Well, good evening. I think I can speak for everyone when I say that that was absolutely excellent. That was really, really well done. Uh, it, was, uh, it was wonderful to behold. And both to the the adults uh, and the young people that were in the play, I thought you did an excellent job. Uh, As far as the young people are concerned, uh, being a school teacher, uh, you are my normal audience. Uh, And so what I have to say to you over the next few minutes, let's just imagine that I'm saying it to you, and all of the rest of these people in here can just choose to listen if they want to, and if, well, if you want to go, then I think the doors will be locked anyways. But uh, I thank you all for coming. Uh, and, and, and uh, beholding the, the play that was uh, just put on. I think most of the way through the play there, Mr. Carmichael really hit the nail on the head when he said, I want to know more about this baby. I want to know more about this baby. Because it's the identity of that baby that is the real meaning of Christmas. Right? I think that we can all look around and say that, that we've made Christmas into something else here in the West, in our North American culture. But the truth of the matter is that Christmas is about Jesus Christ, about his identity, but also about his purpose. And so I would invite you uh, this evening to look with me at Luke 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. Luke 2, verse 10 and 11. It says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The true meaning and the real meaning of Christmas is the identity and purpose of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come to this earth to just be born as a baby like many other babies, Jesus Christ came to this earth to be born a Savior. But when we understand that, that begs the question, well, why does the world need a Savior? Why do we need a Savior? Well, to answer that question, we must go back to the beginning. We must go back to the creation itself. And in the beginning, God created. And when he created, he created the earth, he created the waters, he created man, he created animals, he created woman. And it was good. Everything laid in a state of, of perfection. His creation was, was good. But when you continue to read through the count, it doesn't, get, it doesn't take you long to get to Genesis 3. Where God put man and woman in the garden and they were tempted by Satan. They were tempted by the serpent. Right? God had a standard for them. And that standard was very clear. That they were able to eat of anything in the garden except of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. And Satan comes and he, he tempts them. And Eve takes the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she eats. And then Adam, who was standing not too far off, being as passive as could be, takes the fruit as well and he eats. And because of this, Sin entered the world. God's perfect creation was no longer in perfection, in a state of perfection. There was brokenness. Sin had entered the world, and it was it was destructive. But what does does sin mean? What is sin? I think that's an important question to look at. It's an important question to ask. Sin is missing the mark, or sin is falling short of God's standard. Adam and Eve, they missed the mark. They took the standard that God had and they did not measure up to that standard. Now we come thousands of years later in human history. And we can also understand today that human beings continue to miss the mark. That we are born into a world that is sinful. I don't think it's difficult to look around and see that there is sin in the world. I think COVID-19 has only highlighted the fact that there is sin in the world. But it hits much closer to home than that. You can come over to my house any day of the week if you would like, and you can see my, well, I won't name one in particular, but you can see my three-year-old daughter (laughs) have a complete and utter temper tantrum when her mother or father gives her a set of instructions. We have an understanding that we are born into sin, that from the moment that we are born into this world... We are in a sinful creation. It's tragic. And it, it is escaped by nobody. Look what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Notice the second word. All. That is all-encompassing. It is not exclusive of, of anybody. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God even Mr. Carmichael, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 8, we learned that it's it's even worse than that. Because we understand from Romans 8 that we have a heart that is not only sinful, but we have a heart that by nature is totally opposed to God. That it's hostile to God. That we can't actually do anything that will please God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all, all of us, missed that standard. What is the standard? Well, when you take a look at the Bible, God gives you a very clear standard. He gives us the Ten Commandments. And you can run down the list of those commandments, and you can understand that you don't even come close to measuring up to those. God expects a perfection in keeping those commandments. And then we have Jesus come, and he actually raises the bar in those commandments. And so we understand that we have fallen short. But the news actually from there gets even worse. Because the God that created the world and everything in it, the God that sets the standard is a God that is holy, who is righteous, and who is just. He is perfect. And he must... Punish sin. He is a God that cannot in any way be associated with sin. And considering that he has to punish sin, take a look what it says in Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. You see, we just established that nobody is free of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we understand that if God is a righteous judge, if he is just, if he is holy, that he cannot be in association with that sin. That sin must be punished. And we learn in Romans 6.23 that the wages of that sin, the punishment for that sin, is death. And it's not there just talking about a death, we die, and then that's it. It's talking about an eternal death. A death of eternal separation from God. A death that that results or leads to a place called hell. Men and women, boys and girls, it it, it can't actually get worse than that. The idea of being eternally separated from God. God is holy, He is righteous, and He is just. He will not, cannot tolerate sin. And ultimately, He will judge it. Now, it's at this point that we usually try and kind of wiggle our way out of the problem, right? We try and rationalize. We try and justify in our own means. It's usually at this point that we we do one of a number of things. And certainly this is not an exhaustive list, but we do one of these things. We try and earn our own way. We have an understanding that there is a God in heaven who is holy, who is righteous, who is just. And okay, I, I, I can track with that. I'm there. And so what I'm going to spend my life doing is I'm going to do as many good deeds as I can possibly do in order to earn my way to somehow become righteous or in good standing with God. We do this all the time. All the time. doesn't matter where you're born. doesn't matter where you live. doesn't matter who you are, your age, your sex, your gender. We, we try and, and do this. I need to do this amount of good so that it will outweigh my bad and God will accept me. The problem is, is that the Bible clearly states that even your best intentions, even your best deeds, are but filthy rags before a righteous and holy God. We may also play the comparison game, right? It's like, okay, I failed in this way, and 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 this, this way, but I'm not as bad as that guy, right? Look at that guy. Look at what that guy's done in his life. You know, okay, maybe we're going to stand before God one day, and we're going to be judged. But man, I'm I'm probably going to be better than about 80% of the people, right? And God's going to grade on the curve, and so thankfully I'll be ushered into heaven, and that will be it. I'll spend eternity with God. But we understand it doesn't work that way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another way that we go, I think, is that we just come to a state of hopelessness. We come to an understanding that if God is that, if He is holy, if He is perfect, if He is righteous then I'm never going to be able to measure up to him. I can't actually do that. I witnessed this (laughs) over a period of many years, but it really came to a head a couple years ago with my Opa. My Opa, for many, many, many years, understood that there was a God, but he he had an innate understanding that there's nothing that he could do to actually be good enough. And right near the end of his life, he looked right at my sister... And he said, yes, I understand, but I've done so much wrong in my life. I've done so many things wrong. I've done so many things wrong. And there's an idea that that we're hopeless before ever measuring up to a righteous God. I imagine there's probably a few of you here that have wrestled with these thoughts tonight. But I want to submit to you that should we trust our own ideas about who God is, about how he judges humanity? Or should we trust what the very words of God say about who God is? What the very words of the Bible say about who God is? Look with me at at John 3.16. This is what God says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God looks down on a humanity that is totally sinful. By very nature is totally opposed to the things of God. Every single one of us. And he looks down at that humanity. And in the state that they are in, says, I love them enough. That I am going to send my very son, my only son, to make a way for them to be united back with me. Jesus was willing to come to the earth, to condescend and to come down and put on flesh. That is the story of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus was willing to leave the glorious things of heaven and come and experience the most disgusting things of earth. He was humble enough to do that for you and for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have everlasting life. God gave his only son for for you. Personally. In this room. 2021 in Chatham, Ontario. He gave his son for you. And so we understand that Jesus came to this earth, that he became, he became a, a, a baby. Every time I think about that, it completely and utterly blows my mind. We have a seven, six and a half, seventh month, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really bad with this, six and a half month old at home. <laughs> and every time I look at him and I sit him down, he can sit up now, which is, is kind of wonderful because you can sit him there and then you can maybe go and do something. He's, he's, he's still there when you get back. But you think of the helplessness of that baby, right? He's, he's got the whole like, bigger head, head, head bigger than the body thing going on, so every once in a while he'll kind of lean a little bit too far, and then he's gone, right? He just topples over. But the idea there is that that baby is helpless, right? If, if he topples over and we weren't going to do anything about it, he would be there for the rest of his breathing and, and really living hours, And Jesus was willing to condescend to the point, humble to the point, that he was willing to become that for you and for me. Jesus lived a perfect life. He came and he lived a perfect life. He lived it to perfection. He lived it without sin. The standard that God set, he did not miss that standard. He did not miss that mark. And then he goes to the cross and humbly submits himself to the will of his Father, lays himself down, and is crucified. In this way, Christmas and Easter cannot be pulled pulled apart. They are together. They They are connected. You cannot ever separate the two. And so what did Jesus do on the cross? Well, we talked about the fact that sin had to be punished. There had to be a payment for the wrong. All of the human beings, past, present, and future, that had missed the mark, there had to be payment for that in order for God to be united, or for an order for human beings to be united back to God. And that is what Christ did on the cross. That he went, that he shed his blood, and that all of the wrath of God for the sins past, present, and future, all of that burning, righteous, holy, and just anger that God had pent up, was poured out on the head of Jesus Christ. And in that way, he paid the penalty for our sin. He paid for it with his life. But praise be to God that it did not end there. That three days later, he rose. That he got up, he walked again, and he defeated sin and death. And for that very reason, you and I have a way of being united back to God. John 14:6 says Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. That the only way that you and I as human beings who have fallen short of the glory of God, who have missed that mark, the only way that human beings can be united back to God is by the person and work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. There is no other way. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. There is no way to earn salvation. There is no use in comparing yourself to others. It's never going to do anything. But there's no need also to be hopeless. That if you are here today, and you do not know Jesus Christ, if you have not been saved by his blood, if you look around in this earth in this time of absolutely crumbling security, Right, this facade that we all had of we are secure in Canada and and, and you know we, we have it, it's it's peaceful, you know, we just get to carry on with our life. I think we can all agree that to a certain extent that has been shattered in the last two years. But if you are here today and you are hopeless without Christ, if you have an understanding that man, when you live your life and you come and you stand before a holy and righteous God at the end of your life. I'm not going to be able to measure up to him. I know it. You don't have to be hopeless. And that's why my sister was able to look into the face of my Opa after he said that and say, Opa, we've all done so much wrong. Right? There's no facade. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all done so much wrong in our life. We would all be ashamed if we could have a Rolodex played up here on the screens, and to show everybody in this room the sins that we've committed in our life. Nobody escapes that. And yet Christ died to free us from those very sins. And so what is our response to this? What is our response? Well, look with me at Mark 1.15. It says, And saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye, and believe in the gospel. What is our response to Jesus Christ? What is our response to his work on the cross? What is our response before a holy and righteous God who sent his only son to die for us? Well, it's to to have an understanding and to stand before him and say, God, I know and I understand that I have missed the mark. And I freely confess that to you. I know that in my own power and by my own means, I, I am hopeless but I'm willing to have faith in Jesus Christ, in him alone. Repent and put your faith in the one who is perfect, in the one who is righteous, in the one who can stand before the justice of God and be found clean. After the third day, Jesus rose again, and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And for all those who have repented, put their faith in Jesus, he gets to sit beside God the Father. And when we do mess up, because we do mess up, he gets to to look at God the Father and say, that sin is is paid for. And that sin is paid for. And all of the sins that have been in this person's life, they are paid for. Because I paid for them on the cross. This is the true meaning of Christmas. It is about a baby, but it's about the identity and the purpose that that baby came to earth for. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all of the the incredible hard work that was put into the play. What a production. It was clear. The message and the purpose, the identity of Jesus was clear in that play. And we thank you for the hard work that was put in to getting that ready. Lord, in a time where we do not feel as secure as we used to in the country that we live in, in a time where we can, just like Adam and Eve who fell in the garden, we can understand that we are sinful. We can look around at the world and understand that we are sinful but we can most importantly look at our hearts and understand that they are are sinful that they don't measure up to God's standards may we fall down before Jesus Christ may we repent of our sin and may we place our faith in him and him alone for faith in Christ is the only means of salvation and of standing righteous before God may we not put this off Today is the day of salvation. We thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.